Well, just as we invite Dr. Michael Youssef, a big hi to all of those watching online in different parts of the world who have downloaded this later, and also over the road to the Coronet. Welcome, welcome over there. Dudley is looking after you. Well, he's over there. You'll have to tell me if he really is looking after you. I don't know. I'm just, uh, I'm just assuming that he is. Oh, he is. Okay, great. All right. And those watching downstairs in the lower hall and behind me, in fact, anyone, anywhere, everywhere in the universe, under the sound of my voice right now, welcome. And welcome to, to Dr. Michael Youssef. Come and minister to us. It's a great joy to have you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor Colin Dye. What an honor and a privilege that moment back in 2004 when I had the joy of meeting Colin and Amanda and um, became friends. And when, uh, as he mentioned, the moment the Lord gave me the vision for Kingdom Sat, and I wanted to handpick preachers, pastors, who have heart for the gospel from around the world. Colin Dye was on the top of my list. Amen. And so I came uh, through here, and my son Joshua and I had um, a great meeting and shared the vision with him, and he caught it immediately. And God has been using him and Kingdom Sat uh, throughout the Arab world. We now 160 million homes. And on three satellites, including ArabSat, NileSat, and the EulaSat. And God just keeps opening doors that we haven't even knocked on. But He promised that when we are faithful, He will open doors nobody can shut. And He will shut doors nobody can open. And so, this morning, the Lord laid on my heart a challenge for each one of you to have a vision for your life. To have God's vision for your life. And I'm going to share it with you from the Word of God, not from the top of my head, because that will give you a headache. Only the Word of God will feed you. And so I'm going to be talking to you from the Word of God about having a vision. And in many ways, uh, Psalm 2 is what I'm going to be using this morning, expounding from Psalm 2. It's really my story in many ways, because 44 years ago, when I escaped... The land of my birth, I literally escaped with the clothes on my back. And I was so angry for being persecuted. I was young, 19 years old. And I said, I want nothing to do with that part of the world ever again. And so I let a match to my passport. I mean, that is like Caesar conquering Britain. And when there's, the army was halfway up uh, the cliffs... Uh, he burnt the ships. He says, no return, no going back. And that was my story. And then, years later, the Lord has rebuked me. And he gave me a vision, his vision for my life. And that's what we're doing. We're going all the way back now to the Middle East. The platform that God opened for me in the United States. And uh, Europe and elsewhere, Australia, Canada. It's now become a platform for taking the gospel to those who have never heard it or they heard it distorted and never understood the truth. And they are really captives uh, to a false religion. So, and, and we're seeing the most amazing stories. I could stand here and share with you story after story. 
about how God is bringing whole families, including an imam and his whole family, coming to Christ. And now they are doing some follow-up for us in the country where they are. But I, I'm in the middle of all this and what God is doing, it is, it's clear that we live in turmoil. Probably, I'm going to be 64 very soon, so in the 64 years that I lived, I don't remember a time of global turmoil like we have today. Uh, I know a little bit of history. I studied history in school, and, and probably since the days of the Roman uh, persecution of Christians, uh, there has been no uh, time where there is such a global persecution of Christians as this day. Churches are being burnt all over the world, literally. Christians are being persecuted. Today, the statistics is that 100 million Christians around the world are living under persecution as of this moment. Two weeks ago, I just read a statement that was made in the Parliament of Europe, the European Parliament, a man by the name of Galici, G-H-I-L-E-T-C-H-I. And here's what he said. He said the following. He said, 95% of the religiously motivated violence in Scotland is aimed at Christians. I mean, it's, you make you want to scratch your head. That 410 out of the 485 European acts of vandalism were all directed at Christian sites. And we live in a time of turmoil. At the same time, God is doing his work. And the, 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 the opportunity for every one of us who claim and name the name of Jesus to take our faith seriously and get on with the vision that God has for you. As Pastor Colin said, that the world is coming to your doorstep very soon. And what are you going to do? What are the opportunities that God is going to present to you? This rage, this outrage about the name of Jesus. I mean, I have known people, uh, third generation Americans, who have said they've never, ever, ever seen what is happening today. Court after court after court. Ruling out the, 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 the opportunity for naming the name of Jesus publicly. It's become illegal. Think about it. The United States. So the question is, why is this rage against God and His anointed Son, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ? Why? I want to use this as, as, as an encouragement to you to catch God's vision for your life. And the most important thing that I can tell you is this. That this is not new. This has been happening 1,000 years before Christ was born. You say, well, wait a minute, you mean they were persecuting Christ before he was born 1,000 years? I want to show you. I want to show you that the worship of Christ always produces outrage. 1,000 years before Christ was born in Bethlehem of Judea, there was a, an outrage against Christ. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Psalm 2, because I want to show it to you from the Word of God. Psalm 2 is a prophecy of the, about the supremacy of Christ. And you see, whenever you say Christ's supremacy, that's when some people get mad. They get angry. Like the Roman uh, Empire who worshipped many gods, if you add Jesus to the gods, they were happy. But you tell them Jesus is the only God, they get mad and they'll burn you to the, 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 and, and send you to hungry lions. <laughs> Because of the supremacy of Christ, you find that those who bow to Him and worship Him, 
will come to trust Him with all of their hearts and they will be eternally saved and they are rejoicing in this life regardless of their circumstances. There were f- but those who followed the deception of Satan and reject him and rebel against the supremacy of Christ and refuse to accept the supremacy of Christ and the fact that he is the only way to the Father, that he is the only way to salvation, he is the only way to heaven, they will pay for the price of their rejection. And so Psalm 2 is the psalm that is most quoted in the New Testament as is being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. If you look at the book of Acts, chapter, two, chapter 4, verses 24 to 27, there the apostles declared that Psalm 2 is fulfilled in Christ. If you look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5, it declared that Psalm 2 is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. If you look at Revelation 2.27 and 19.15, it declares that Psalm 2 is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Psalm 2 is divided by, by naturally divided into four sections. I want you to look at them with me very quickly. First, in verses 1 to 3, you're going to see their man's defiance against God. And then in verses 4 to 6, you're going to find the father's derision. And thirdly, you're going to see the son's dominion. In verses 7 to 9. And finally you find the Holy Spirit's deliverance. In verses 10 to 12. Look at the first few verses. There you find man's defiance of God. Man's outrage against God. Why do nations rage? And people conspire and plot against the Lord. Have you ever asked yourself the question why? (laughs) Why do they get mad? As soon as you mention Oh you talk about God that's fine. But as soon as you say Jesus, they will go get the shivers. While there are tens of organizations, at least I know of in the United States, there are hundreds of lobbying groups that are working in Europe and the United States and and Canada and and, 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 and even in the United Kingdom. uh, Working. Why? Why? They were founded for the sole purpose of opposing the Christ and the uniqueness of Christ and the fact that Christ is the only way to the Father. Why do nations and and heads of nations hate the children of the living God who worship the Lord Jesus Christ? Why do governments persecute Christians so severely? And I have seen it all over the world. Why do heads of nations burn the Bible and literally not allow to come into their countries with Bibles? Why do they hate those who practice the Christian faith? And the psalmist gives us the answer. See, when it comes to all these groups, they may hate each other. They may fight each other. They have nothing in common with each other. Uh, They deplore each other. And yet, they become united in their opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ. They become united in opposing Him and being raged at the name of Jesus. They become united in expressing this rage and outrage toward the Lord's Messiah. How do they do this? Well, even the atheists who don't believe in God, they're fighting God. And I say, well, how do you fight somebody you don't believe exists? Well, you just ever thought about that? So they express their rage by expressing it toward their children, the children of the living God. Like a beehive, unholy, unjust alliance. They are all over the place, swarming in the media, denouncing the the righteous, 
denouncing the, those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. They hide behind false claims. They, they, even within the professing church, there are those who deny the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. But why? Ah, because they believe in false gods. And because their false religions are threatened by the truth. And yet you say, but if only they realize, if they understand that the true God who sent His Son to die on the cross and rise again is out of love and compassion for them, if they only would realize that He is the one who tells the sun to rise up in the morning, that He is the one who sends the moon at night, that He is the one who's sending you all this rain that you've got had enough of, that He is the one who controls all of heaven and all of earth, that the earth produces fruit because of His command. And even more importantly, He sent His Son so that whomsoever believe in Him will have eternal life. If they would know that. But that's your job. That's my task. That's your task. That's your calling. You see, for so long, Christians have been sitting in the pews of salvation and they have been intimidated by the world. And I'm going to share with you the encouragement from Psalm 2 that I pray not one single person here in this room or at the sound of my voice in the overflow would never be the same again. Because we worship the true living God. Instead of gratitude for the blessings of God, they rebel against His rule. They revolt against His love. They reject His Son. Romans 1.18 said it best. He said, they knew the truth, but they preferred to believe a lie. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and, 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 worshiped and served the creation instead of the cre creator. Beloved, listen to me. This rage will reach its climax just before the return of the Lord. We know that. It's like a friend of mine said, we've read the last chapter of the book, we know we win. <laughs> we've read the last chapter. But here's the fallacy that many people have bought into. They think that they can have freedom without Christ. As Pastor Colin was just saying a few moments ago. They think they can have freedom without submitting to the authority of God. Uh, imagine if the governments of the world and the courts decide one day that they're going to suspend the laws. Try to imagine the anarchy. The anarchy. What kind of freedom is that? That is not freedom at all. It would be hell on earth. Freedom without authority is anarchy. And authority without freedom is slavery. That is why the true freedom that comes from the word of God and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ is liberty under authority. And that's the message you and I are to take to the world. It is a fallacy to think that we can be free from uh, the only one who can truly set us free. And that is why history attests to the fact that when people submit to the authority of Jesus Christ, they can become free indeed. They can have a fulfilled life. They can have peace of mind. They can have joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. So much for man's defiance of God. So how does God react to that defiance? Well, the psalmist said he, he, he reacts with derision. He reacts with derision toward them. 
You see, there are many professing Christians. You see them all over the place in this country, as I see them in my country. They don't want to think of a God who exercises derision or feels derision. They want to think of a God who's a milk toast. As you would say here, Father Christmas. You know, kind of a jolly old Santa who's just kind of sitting there in heaven laughing. Acquiescing to whatever they want. Whatever you want, it's all yours. It's okay. You can't overcome sin. It's okay. Legalize sin. You cannot reject immorality. That's okay. We'll make it normal. God is just happy to go along with you. I remember a debate I had with a, with a very prominent churchman, liberal churchman. And he said to me, Michael, you're living in the past. God has moved on. God has grown. You're still backward, back there, thinking of God, of the Bible. I said, you and I don't worship the same God. You might go to a building with a cross on it, but that's about all the thing you have in common. You see, that is a false view of God. God's love expressed in His grace. And that is not weakness. God's love is expressed in His benevolence. And that's not powerlessness. When God's haters on the earth are enraged toward the true God, what does God do? The Bible said, verse 4 of Psalm 2, He said, He laughs. God laughs. The enthroned in the heaven, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Why? Because our God is the God of power and might. <laughs> Whether people acknowledge Him or not. Our God is a God who exercises His authority whether they accept it or not. Our God rules the universe whether they know it or not. Our God controls the events of history whether they believe it or not. Our God is not sitting in heaven or drinking Mylanta or whatever you have here equivalent to it for the heartburn. He doesn't have heartburn wondering, you know, what he's going to do. Oh, these people rejecting me. These people rejecting me. He's not sitting in heaven on the throne wringing his hands. No. God sits on the rim of the universe. He reigns and He rules even now in the midst of this time. He laughs. Well, He said He laughs. <laughs> but this is not a pleasant laughter. You know what I mean? It's not the kind of joyful laughter that we laugh when we're happy. You know what I mean? This is a laughter of the region. Do you want me to show you what's like? <laughs> That's, you want to do that with me? <laughs> That's what God is doing. As if to say, if you think that you can get rid of my son by persecuting my children, you might as well try to reach for the sky and pluck the stars from the orbit. <laughs> if you think that you can get rid of my one and only son, through whom and whom alone is eternal life, you might as well try to stop the sun from shining in the morning. If you think that you can uh, 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 reinvent me and create me in your own image, uh, according to your liking, then let them control the rain and the floods that seem to be coming down in Deluge right now. 
Let them put the ocean in a bucket. You've seen how powerful those tsunamis are, as we've seen in Asia and Japan. And, and we have hurricanes like Katrina. I mean, that's just ruined whole region of the United States. Now, if we think that's really powerful force of nature, <laughs> these are a picnic in comparison to facing the one who created the tsunamis. It is a fact of history that there were at least 30 Roman emperors and governors who distinguished themselves by their zeal of preventing Christians and Christianity from growing in the Roman Empire. Truly. And that particular study has shown that all of them, all the 30 of them, have died horrible deaths. Some of them ended up being deranged. Others were blinded. Others were slain by family members. Others died miserable in miserable uh, uh, captivities. Others were uh, drowned. Others died from a horrible flesh-eating disease. Others committed suicide. Every one of them died a horrible death. And the Christian faith marches on. They were all dead, but Christ is still on the throne. Emperor Diocletian, 245 to 313 A.D. He struck a medal for himself in his own honor. Here's what was written on the medal. Diocletian, Jovian, Maximian, Heracles, Caesar Augustus. And on the other side, for having extended the Roman Empire in the East and the West, and for having extinguished the name of Christians who brought the Republic to ruin. He's dead, and Christ's still alive. As someone said, someone said that, uh, that Nero, Nero killed the Apostle Paul. And here we are 2,000 years later. We name our children Paul and our dogs Nero. Verse 5. Verse 5. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. Oh, wrath. Excuse me. I got used to the American wrath. This is wrath. It's actually the more accurate. We learn English from you. <laughs> Saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. One thousand years before Christ was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Man's defiance. The father's the region, the son's dominion. Look at verses seven and nine, 8 and 9. Here's the Lord Jesus speaking. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I, I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. My beloved friends, listen to me. Today, the name of Jesus is free for all. Free for all to abuse. Free for all to defame. Free for all to, def to, to, to deface. Free for all to curse. Free for all to belittle. Free for all to be outlawed from public life. I remember one time I was doing my PhD at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. And I was doing my research for my dissertation. This is back in the 80s, early 80s. 
And I did my research on the group that back then in Egypt was known as Jihad Group. and studied it as a social movement. In fact, the book that as a result of that called Revolt Against Modernity is in every university library in the world. And I'm not just bragging, I'm just showing off. <laughs> no, but I'm telling you this for a reason. When I went to do my research with this outlawed group and I had to go and secret passageways and have to meet with them underground because back then and the, the days they're the group that killed Sadat and was just right after his death and I, I was interviewing them and and finally when they gathered they terrified me I don't mind telling you they said we know everything about you and I was not concerned so much about anything else except for my wife's husband Very selfless, you know. <laughs> now, I remember they were pointing at me. You say you're a Christian? You say that you love Jesus? You're a hypocrite! And I said, I must admit, there are inconsistencies in my life I'm not proud of. And, but, but why do you say that? He said, you know how in the movies they curse the name of Jesus? They take the name of Jesus in vain? I said, yeah, it's dreadful. He said, if you say you love Jesus, I said, I do. He said, if we love Jesus, we would have killed them all. <laughs> How can you say you love Jesus? You're not going out there and killing them. No matter what I try to explain to them, that the day is coming when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to avenge, the revenge and all of that, that just didn't make any sense. But you see, right now, the name of Jesus may be free for all to curse and use as a swear word. But thousand years before he was born in Bethlehem of Judea, God called him my one and only son. My king, whom I appointed on the hill of Zion. He is my anointed one. He is the only, my only choice. He is the only way to me. He is the only way to heaven. He is the only one who will judge the nations of the earth with an iron scepter. Because all of the earth belongs to him. Don't you ever forget that? Don't you ever forget that? The whole earth belongs to Jesus. Let me ask you this. Do you think Satan knew this? When he met Jesus in the wilderness, do you think he knew that the earth belongs to Jesus? You better believe he did. That's why you want to give him a shortcut and say, Look, I'll give you all the earth. All you need to do is just bow to me. And what did Jesus say? Let me give you a Yusuf translation. That's in the, not found in your Bible. Satan, buzz off. <laughs> the earth is mine anyway. Right? Some people get deluded because of God's patience and God's waiting on them to repent and giving them opportunity. It gets to their head and they think, God doesn't exist. I remember back uh, my wife and I rented a, a, a flat in Sydney, Australia back 41 years ago. We, we never met the owner. Never met him face to face. We just sent the check. And I just imagine if I thought for a moment, that owner doesn't exist. I'm going to own this flat. <laughs> Let me see what the police will do to me. See, that's what's happening. These people are being deluded in thinking that God, they own the earth. They're the ones in control. He doesn't exist until 
the day the owner, the true owner of the earth shows up in person. <laughs> and make no mistake about it, he's nearer than ever. When he shows up, those of us who love him, those of us expecting him, those of us longing to see him, will rejoice exceedingly, be glad. But imagine the surprise on their faces. Jesus owns the earth. And everyone on the earth. And everything on the earth. <laughs> and one day he's going to show up. And those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been saying, Lord, we have been waiting for you. We've been singing Maranatha. We've been sing singing, come Lord Jesus. We have longed for this day. But that's not going to be a joyful day for them. And that is why you and I need to warn them. Need to warn them. As the Apostle Paul said, don't. Take the patience of the Lord for granted and think that he is powerless. He's not. See, the first coming, he came as a helpless babe. But in his second coming, he's going to come with an iron scepter. In his first coming, he hung helplessly on a cross. But when he comes back, he's going to be sitting on the throne of David. And he's going to judge the earth. And the Bible said in Acts chapter 17 that he will judge the earth by this man, Jesus, for whom he raised from the dead. And because his qualification to judge the earth is going to be his resurrection, nobody's going to question it. Think of the shock that they're going to have. And that is why we need to warn them now. They think, that, hey, we got all the oil of the world, we got all the banks, we got all the money. Yeah, we own it all. That's a delusion. We own the academic institutions. We even fire Christians who sack the Christian professors who, who believe in God. That's a delusion. Thousand years before Christ's incarnation, God the Father said, This is my beloved Son in Psalm 2. One thousand years later, right above the river Jordan, God showed up in the person of His Holy Spirit. And He said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And soon, <laughs> when Jesus comes back to judge the world, when He sits on the throne of judgment, the whole world is going to stand and tremble. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God the Father. Amen. But do you know what God the Father is going to say? I told you so. It is the will of the Father that His Son inherits the earth. You know, as I travel the world, I travel throughout the United States, I encourage believers to read this psalm, particularly this verse. Ask me, I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Now, beloved, let me tell you something. This promise alone, I know it's for Jesus, and it is applied to the Messiah. But I don't think I'm doing injustice to the text to say that every one of Jesus' child, every one of his brothers and sisters, can proclaim this promise of God. In fact, Jesus himself said, 
You want an answer to your trouble. You want an answer to your, to your illness. You want an answer to your difficulties. You want the answer to your need. He gave us the answer. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things are going to be added to you. When you make His vision in your life, the focus of your life, He is going to do it for you. That's His promise. I, was, I travel and I look at the condition of the church and realize that what God wants His children to do is to think and to plan and to work of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Why? To claim the world for Jesus Christ. It's His world. He owns it. I, I sometimes feel in, in, in the depths of my heart the disappointment of God. The disappointment of God when He sees His own redeemed children have vision for everything in life except the one vision that He gave us, the Great Commission. I am so grateful for this church. I know you're unique. I'm so grateful for Pastor Carl. Colin Dye, he is a man with passion. He even goes to places I haven't been to. He has such courage that he is truly a role model for me. But I believe it's a disappointment to the heart of God when he sees the redeemed children so bogged down in all sorts of problems and all sorts of difficulties and all their wants and all their recreations and all their pleasures and their programs and fulfillment. I don't have a vision for the one thing that he told us to do five times in the four Gospels, the end of the four Gospels and in the book of Acts. Be my witnesses. As the Father sent me, I send you. Go and make disciples. And we always say the last words of any beloved are the most important words. I remember I was 16 years old when my godly mother went to be with the Lord. Now I remember her last words. I can hear them singing. I can hear them singing. And we kept saying, well, then nobody's singing here. And within minutes, she was joining the choir at heaven. Last words, very powerful, very important. Those were the last words of Jesus. Be my witnesses. Seek first the kingdom of God. As the Father sent me, send I you. And unless we, the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, in this generation, because we have more opportunities and more um, uh, 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 resources and technological advancements to be able to take the gospel to every home like no other generation. I told you about all the other stuff, the rage and the outrage. But I want to leave you with the encouragement that we are ambassadors of the King of Kings. That we are commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ. Man's defiance. The Father's derision. The Son's dominion. Finally, the Holy Spirit's deliverance. The Holy Spirit's task is to call people to return to the Son. How does He do it? He's a spirit. He has no body. That's where you come in. You're the voice. You're the body. You're the person. He's going to speak through. Turn to the Son. Turn to the Son. So that the Father may accept you. Look at, look at verses 10, 11, and 12. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. 
Serve the Lord with fear and, rejo and, and, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you be destroyed in your way. For His, his wrath <laughs> can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. That's the message of the Holy Spirit through every one of us who know the Lord Jesus. God's Holy Spirit takes no pleasure in sending people into judgment. Ezekiel told us that years ago, before the New Testament. God's Spirit longs for men and women, boys and girls, to turn to the Son of the living God. God's Spirit would rather save people than see them destroy themselves. And in verse 12, you notice, he says, Kiss the Son, lest the Father be angry. Uh, my son works, both my sons actually work with me. And when I get invitations, and because of my schedule, and I said, no, no, I can't do this, I can't do this. Guess who they go to? My son, who's the head of Leading the Way Ministry. They know that they can get to me to change my mind through my son. <laughs> and the father says, the only way you're going to get my attention is when you come to me through the son. Kiss the son, lest the father be angry. And the spirit here makes it clear. He, he makes three appeals. Actually, if you look at them very carefully in the text, first he appeals to the mind. He said, be wise. And then he appeals to the will. He said, serve the Lord with fear. Thirdly, he appeals to the heart. Kiss the king. Kiss the son. Give up your pride, lest you perish. Give up your indifference before it's too late. Kiss the son. After all, he kissed you when he hung on that cross and lowered his head and said, It is finished. Tomorrow, he will speak in wrath. Don't judge things the way the world does. We have different set of eyes. Our God reigns and rules. He sits on the rim of the universe. And that is why I want to challenge you to develop a God-sized vision for your life. God's vision for your life. Not your own ideas or what you want. As I shared with you in the beginning, God had a different plan for me. I had, a, I had one plan for my life. God said, no, I have a vision for you. You know that passport you burnt? No, no, I want you to go back and take the gospel message to these same people who persecuted you growing up. And God opened those doors. You see, when you have God's vision for your life, not your own idea, He's going to open doors for you you never thought possible. I was sharing with Pastor Colin, you know, we, we, we happened Kingdom Sat, in which Colin Dye and I and a few others are ministering four times. Pastor Colin Dye is watched four times a day in 160 million homes. I didn't have a clue. It's not that I sat there and said, you know what would be a great idea if I have this vision, if I can do this. I'll be lying to you if I said that. God said, you told me back yonder that if I answered your prayers, you're going to do whatever I tell you to do. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> he said, do this. I'll open doors for you. My son came to me. He said, you know, Dad, we are in a European satellite and a lot of junk surrounding this channel and some parents don't like their kids to watch us stuff and, 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 and we need to be in an Arab, on an Arab satellite. I said, I will show you. The great man of faith that I am, I just want you to know that. 
You know what I said to him? Impossible. <laughs> Impossible. A few weeks later, they called us. They said, we've been watching your channel. You're lifting up Jesus. You're not attacking us. You're not attacking our governments. We want you on our Arab satellite. God did it. I didn't do it. God did it. And what I'm telling you today, on the authority of God's word, and I know I can testify to you for hours, but I know they told me that uh, everybody's going to check out of here very soon. <laughs> that when you come to God and say, Lord Jesus, I want your vision for my life. I want to serve you. I want to make a difference. I can promise you. Stay with that, and he will show you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. As every head is bowed and every heart is lifted up to the Lord. If the Lord has spoke to you and you really want God to give you his vision. And you're not going to do that just now. I'm talking about praying day after day, night after night. You're going to wait upon the Lord until he shows you. I want you to stand and I'll pray with you. If the Lord says to you, I want to give you a vision. I've been trying to speak to you and now I've got this guy with an accent to come in and just tell you about it. Stand where you are. And I'm going to pray. We're going to rededicate. We're going to recommit. We're going to ask the Lord to show you. He will open doors. If it's serving when the world comes to your city in a few weeks' time, if it's full-time ministry, it doesn't matter. For everyone, is going to be different. Father, you are seeing every person who's standing before you right now. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you'll protect these precious ones. The devil is going to come and he'll say, you don't believe this stuff. Your life is in shambles. How can you do this? Tell them, buzz off Satan. Protect them from the enemy, Lord. Give them that voice that uh, only you can uh, speak softly to their heart that, so they hear it and they know this is the way to go. Keep them from discouragement. Uh, keep them from impatience. And Father, in the name of Jesus, use everyone who have committed themselves to you today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.